We are at the fifth week of our reading of the poets' scriptures. Um, as we read through this week, as we've been reading, we read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so it's like, okay, how do we approach this book of wisdom? Ecclesiastes is what we call wisdom literature. It, it really is uh, about taking a look at this, this beautiful, most people read it, I've been told several times, Pastor, that's so dark and so gloomy and it's so, so dreary and it seems like so hopeless and you can call me crazy if you want, but I love this book. I really love it because it points out in the end of all things, it points out this is what's really important. Boil everything else down, Ecclesiastes says, this, this is what's important. Ecclesiastes chapter one, starting in verse one. The words of the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem. The, there's the teacher and the author here appear to be two different players. And we're not sure exactly who the author is, but the teacher seems to be Solomon. We're pretty certain of that. Most theologians believe that. So this morning we're going to look at life through the eyes of Solomon, the son of King David, king of Israel. And I'm sure many of you know his account. But Solomon, if we look at his life, he started out in a really great spot, but as you follow him, the best way to, to the best thing you could call it, I suppose, would be the way of disaster. He goes down a trail that is really bad. He starts out so great. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that Solomon has, he's, he's really he's at his absolute best. God appears to him. God says, you're going to lead my people Israel, and, I, and I, because of, of who you are and because of the way that you walk, and, and I, I really want to bless you, what would you require from me? What would you want from me? And Solomon says, but above anything, I just want wisdom. And God's like, man, you're my man. Like, this, this is what I want. You want to lead my people and you want to lead with wisdom. Let me bless you. So God pours it out on him in spades. He says, not only because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't ask for power, because you didn't ask for all these other things, guess what? I'm going to give you those as well. So he gives him, he gives him wisdom, first of all, in spades, but he blesses him financially. He blesses him in the military. He blesses him in honor. He, he blesses him in as a matter of fact, I believe if you read through it, it says in, in Kings, and he, it, his silver was so abundant it was, like, it was like pebbles on the grass or like rocks on the road. That's, that's how much silver. It was, it, was just, it was nothing. He had everything that he needed. Solomon, in his great wisdom, he, we said a couple of weeks ago, he wrote over 3,000 proverbs. We have 31 of them in scripture over 3,000 he wrote over a thousand songs a thousand and one and two weeks ago we went through song of songs which is like man of all my songs this is the song of songs man this is this is the best he had a, a season of great wisdom and fame and accomplishments and approval but sadly for Solomon his story doesn't end there see God actually appears to Solomon twice in his life not once twice before we continue, I want to look at that second encounter that he had with God. That comes in 1 Kings chapter 11, starting in verse 9. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to go after other gods, 
Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. So the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your subordinates. Let that sink in for a moment. Solomon's saying, okay, what I really need in order to to run the show here is I need your great wisdom. And God says, great, I'm going to give that to you and so much more. But here's the catch. I got a few things that I need you to steer clear from. I got a few things that I want you to, to, to get right in your life. And God comes to him at the end of all of this, and he says, since this is your attitude. My grandson the other day, I don't remember what was going on, but he looked, I don't think it was Caleb, anyhow. He's like, but, but I don't have an attitude. You might know what it is, but that's it. You might not know what it is, but that's it. But I, I, I don't have an attitude. Yeah, yeah, you do. The Lord says, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, it wasn't a suggestion. God said, I'm going to bless you, but here's what you need to do. Here is my command to you to do this. He says, since you, you chose not to do that, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you and I'm going to give it to one of your subordinates. Verse 12, nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hands of your son. How's that for a legacy? Is that the legacy we want to leave to our kids? Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David. He's not even giving Solomon's, Solomon's son, he's not going to give him one tribe to command for Solomon's sake, but for grandpa's sake. Because of the way that grandpa served the Lord, because of the way grandpa served me, I'm going to leave him one kingdom because of the way that grandpa served me, not because of the way that you've done it, because your attitude stinks. For the sake of, my, of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Prophetically speaking here, God says that to Solomon because the bloodline, the lineage of the Messiah needed to come through David. And so in spite of Solomon and his wisdom, which led him to great foolishness, isn't that amazing? The smartest of smart, the wisest of wise, and yet he absolutely blows it. And that's what Ecclesiastes is all about. Solomon begins as this example of amazing wisdom and he ends up falling into a bottomless pit of foolishness. We see the despair that Solomon experiences through the book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. The Hebrew word here is havel. Havel, havel, everything is havel. Some translate that as vanity, King James. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. NIV, meaningless, meaningless. But that doesn't capture the meaning or the true nature of that word havel. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, and what it literally means is smoke or vapor. And the teacher here uses that word havel 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's like this smoke or this vapor to describe how life is so temporary, it's so fleeting. It's like this wisp of smoke. You think about it, I don't know if you've ever been in a forest fire or you've ever been in a fire that's so thick that it, this, the smoke is so thick you can't see from here to the wall 
and yet you reach out to grab it and there's nothing there. It's meaningless. It's like, what is that? What is it? I see it. I, I, I smell it. I can't really touch it. I kind of taste it. I can't feel it. What, what, what is this? He's trying to describe how life is so temporary and it's fleeting. It, life is just that way, right? It seems that sometimes it's so full and it's so rich and you can't really wrap your arms around. Some days are so good and some days are so bad and yet you still can't kind of get your head around how can this all be? This is life. This is my life. Life is unpredictable. The author here says that life is like changing the wind, chasing the wind, Havel. It's, it's vaporless. It's vaporous. It's meaningless. Great way to open Sunday morning, hey? The author here is trying to show us as we read through this book, as we read through Ecclesiastes, he's trying to show us that any attempt to find meaning and purpose apart from God is Havel. It's meaningless. It's, it's, it's like a vapor. It's like, it's like smoke. Without God, it's not going to make any difference. Because he, he goes on and he, and he says in here, he's like, y- y- there's going to come a point where you live and there's going to come a point where you die and nobody's going to care. A few years from now, nobody's going to remember. Oh, maybe the first 10 years or the first 20 years, somebody will point back to, well, there was that guy who used to sit in the second row. There, he used to holler a lot. What was his name again? Was it Randall? I don't know. And then there was a guy in the back who used to holler, uh, 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 something about joy, uh, uh, unending joy, un, unspe- unspeakable joy. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You know it. You know it. If you're past 40, you get into your 50s, you're like, who was that guy again? I, rem- I remember. And eventually you go, well, there was a guy, and I really don't remember. And then you, then you look like a president. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was just there. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm sorry. It was just there. I couldn't, I couldn't resist it. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. This whole first poem just seems like such a downer. It's like, why do people work? You read the whole first part. Why do people work? The wind blows north, the wind blows south. The rivers run, but the seas don't get filled up. The eye sees, but it never gets full. The ear hears, but it never gets full. It's like generation comes, generation goes. Nobody's going to remember you anyhow. You look at a mountain, at least a mountain. You go to a mountain, you see a mountain. A hundred years from now, that mountain's still going to be there, right? Unless Jesus comes back and changes everything, which we're hoping for in less than a hundred years. But... Other than that, that mountain's still going to be there. This is why I say that this is a, a great book of wisdom, and it's a great book for our day because we're so bloody egocentric. Everything that we think of, everything that we do is all based around us, about satisfying our needs, about filling our wants. You look at all of the troubles in the world that we deal with, it's all about filling our wants and our needs. It's all about us. And here, Solomon is dealing with, with that. He's, he's exposing it. I won't say he's dealing with it, but he's exposing it. 
This is great wisdom for our day. Ecclesiastes chapter one, starting in verse 12. The teacher was the king of Israel in Jerusalem. And he says this, he said, I applied my mind to study, to explore wisdom, uh, to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, chasing after the wind, Havel. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I've said to myself, look, I have an increase in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and much knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that that too is like chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Solomon says wisdom, it's, it's just madness, it's folly. Knowledge brings grief. At some point, at some point what happens is Solomon in his search to find fullness apart from God experiences his wisdom almost haunts him. If you read through this, it's what you see. It's like the things that he knows, he knows he should do, knows he shouldn't do, sticks out so badly, but he's trying to walk away from it. We're going to read um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want you to listen to this. It's going to be on the screen. This is where I like to do a participation. You tell me what sticks out as we read through this. I'm going to try not to emphasize what I, what I think sticks out, but just listen to it. I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolishness. What does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I want to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water the groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and more flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and harems as well, the delights of the man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my work. And this was the reward for all of my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what, my, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was Havel. Everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What jumps out at you? I. I. Me. My. All about my little world. In those 11 verses, 32 times, I, me, or my was used. 32 times in every verse. And the great irony here is this life of great wisdom that he has absolutely haunts him because of his choices.
I tried this. I tried this. Man, I built great houses. They were fantastic. It was the biggest house on the block. I had gardens. Man, I built, I built reservoirs in order. I did, I did, I did. Me, my, me, we, D, I, me, me. I did it. I did all this. And yet I ended up it's like chasing smoke. It just doesn't make any difference. It's just a vapor. We look at this road that Solomon follows that leads to his destruction. And if we look carefully, not just here in Ecclesiastes, but if we look at his life, we see that there's a progression. Maybe, maybe we'd call it a regression that Solomon follows. He starts out with great wisdom. The first step that we see going down this road to destruction is that Solomon left himself wiggle room. You ever leave yourself wiggle room? What are we going to do with that wiggle room? Solomon left wiggle room in his commitment to God. You say, well, pastor, you know what, all, all of us, sometimes we, we compromise. I, I get that. But here's the deal. We don't leave a, just a little bit of wiggle room that stays just a little bit of wiggle room. The whole purpose of wiggle room is so that we can have more wiggle room. And eventually you've got enough wiggle room in your wiggle room to turn around a semi, right? Because you're so outside of the walls of your commitment. But we're talking about his commitment to the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 3, before God appears to him, we read about a little bit of wiggle room. First, column, uh, First Kings 3, verse 3, Solomon showed his love, showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places. And you think, so? He's serving the Lord in the high places. You know, what's that all about? We haven't talked about high places but these places were used, high places, were used to offer sacrifices to idols and for pagan worship in this land. And they were literally everywhere throughout the countryside. These high places had uh, areas where there were small areas for worship and the people would go there to make sacrifice to false gods. Numbers chapter 33, starting in verse 51. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross into Jordan and Canaan and it's the land of all the ites it's the land of the Moabites and the Amorites and the Gibeonites he says drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and destroy their high places these places were supposed to be destroyed now you think okay well well what does that have to do with my life well, am I going to make 100% commitment to the Lord? Am I going to commit myself to the Lord? Or am I going to commit myself to the Lord, well, say 98, 97%? And I just take a few of those things that I like to worship, things that are okay. They're not so bad. I mean, I know they're, I probably shouldn't, but I, I got a few of these little things that, that I kind of like to do myself. The first step on this slippery slope is wiggle room. It's compromise. It's areas where we know that we should do something. Israel was commanded, have nothing to do with these high places except for destroy them. If you're going to go in, that's the only purpose. And throughout Israel, part of what they did was they would just, it, it's, it's, okay, it starts out subtle. 
It starts out subtle. It starts out so subtle. We're going to devote ourselves to, to God, but when we go to this high place, what we'll do is we'll just do an offering to God while we're in this high place. How's that? But the next time we're not offering to God, the next high place we go to, we'll just offer sacrifices to whatever God is there. Why bring our stuff? We'll just, uh, because all gods are the same, right? That's not true. So they made these, these high grounds, they left these high places the way they were. And they didn't go in and they didn't tear them down. They didn't destroy them. It sounds like, it appears as though they actually, with quite a bit of regularity, went to these high places. Do we find that God then, he didn't destroy these worshipers right away. Many of these worshipers had good intentions. Solomon followed God, except. He had great intentions, except. Except he kind of wanted to do what he wanted to do sometimes. We make a commitment to the Lord. We go, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, except over here in this area. I still like to get high once in a while, God. I just like a little bump every once in a while. I still, I don't want to surrender my kids to you, God. Not entirely, you know, they're, they're, you know, I always just can't. Well, I've got this little relationship thing going. My job, that I know, God, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this. It really is not a good thing in this, but, but that's, I, I surrender to you 100% except this. I've said it before. You know that my, mouse poison, mouse poison is actually 99.977, I think it is, 0.977%, or at least 0.97% good food. 0.03% is the poison. 99.9, let's just say that, 99.9. It's good, it's fine food. Mice can actually eat it and live. That 1% is what kills them. wiggle room we leave a little bit of wiggle room I still get to do what I want to do once in a while I know I should not watch that on TV but I'll just watch with one eye right there's a joke about the kid in church somebody's singing up in the balcony lady falls over the edge his dad says don't you turn around you see that you're going to go blind and the kid's like I'll just take a chance I'll just take a chance with one eye i just look a little bit Wiggle room. The second step in his journey is that Solomon assumes that he is an exception to the rule. And you might not like this, but we do the same thing quite often. We find when we read about Solomon in his wiggle room that it actually goes from wiggle room to just disobedience. It's like, you know, I know that those are the rules, but they're really for somebody else. At this point in his spiritual walk, I'm just going to say it this way. At this time, in our spiritual walk, even, because not just about Solomon, we actually, we don't dispute the rules. We don't disagree with the rules. As a matter of fact, we support the rules. We agree with them. It's just that we find ourselves a little bit more sophisticated than everybody else. So I'm a little bit more mature than that. So I, I, can, I can get by with it. 
it's less than, it, it's more than just being a little disobedient. You see, when I get to choose what rules I want to follow, then the reality is I become God of my own life. And I can tell you from experience that that never goes well. That's not going to end well. Look at some of the commands that God gave. Anybody who's going to be a ruler over Israel. Deuteronomy 17. The king, moreover, must not acquire a great number of horses for himself or make people return to Egypt to get more of them for him. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of gold or silver. It's pretty clear. These guidelines are pretty clear. You don't need too many horses. You don't need too many women. You don't need all that money. But all of that speaks of power. I got the horses, I got the money, I got the babes, I got it all. Solomon apparently didn't think these commands applied to him. You read through 1 Kings chapters 10 and 11, we're not going to read it all for the sake of time, but he had over 12,000 horses, 700 wives of royal birth, and 300 concubines, and so much money, again, it was considered to be as common as rocks. Those are good rules for everybody else, but I, I can handle it. Am I the only one that's ever said that? They're good rules, they're good, but, but I can handle it. I know that God commanded kings to stay away from this because he knew as soon as they got it, they'd begin to rely on their own power. Tony Campalo, who's a Christian author and speaker, somebody asked him one time, what's the biggest challenge that faces the church? I love his answer. When I look at the church today, especially the church in America, I see the church is doing quite well. Church is flourishing. Church has power in a lot of areas. It has a lot of wealth. It's doing really well. It terrifies me because throughout history, there is one thing that the church has never been able to handle. Success. Why? Because we get too filled with ourselves. Even in life, we get too filled. Our slippery slope. I'm going to leave just a little bit of wiggle room. And then we're going to say, you know what? I, I know that there are all those rules, but really, you know, I'm doing pretty good here. And so I'll just take care of this part. God, I know you want me to surrender all of my resources. I know you want my time, my talent, my money. I know you want that. But you know what? I'm, I'm just going to take care of this part here. You see, Solomon started out asking God for his help in everything. He saw his need. He saw his weakness. He relied on God. But as soon as he had a few good things go his way, he got too big for his britches. And he started thinking he could choose what he was going to obey and what he wasn't. It's not about God's law at this point. It's about Solomon's law. It's not about God's law. It's about what can Tim get by with. It's not about God's law. You can put your name in there now. It's about your law. What feels good for me? So the question is, how's our, how's our humility doing? When it comes to this slippery slope, how, how are we doing? How are we, personally, have we allowed too much wiggle room in our life? Are we now beginning to justify our actions by saying, it's okay because I got this down. I know I'm only going to go so far. I'm only going to get close to the edge. I'm not going to go any farther. I'm just going to get that close. Riding four-wheeler with my dad one time. We are out on the mine dumps. And we were in an area that was clearly posted, no trespassing. I'd been up there a thousand times. My dad had never been up there. 
I've been up here a thousand times. Don't worry about it. He's like, hey, we're not supposed to. Ah, I know. It's okay. We'll go up here. We'll ride up here. So we're riding up on these mine dumps. There's all the abandoned mine dumps. There's no problem. And nobody's ever up here. So we stopped, and we're chatting for a little while, and all of a sudden I saw all this smoke. And I thought, I wonder what that is over there. So you hang out here. I'm going to go over to the edge of the, the edge of the mine pit, and I'm going to see what all that smoke is. And so I drove over to the edge and climbed off my four-wheeler, and as I walked over the edge, you could see excavators, big trucks, big loaders, excavating, digging underneath that ground that I was standing on. Because there's no trespassing, nobody's supposed to be there. And what they were doing, my brother told me afterwards, oh yeah, what they do is they're digging in the face of that and then they're collapsing the hill down where you and dad were. Oh yeah, the, the rules, well, they're, they're, they're good rules for everybody else, but I can, I can do okay. I'll be all right. I'll just get right to the edge. All fine and well until the bank collapses. All fine and well until somebody digs a hole underneath you. Guess what? We're just not that good. Here's the reality. We're just not that good. Those rules are there, and they're there for us. When God says, don't go there, guess what he means? Don't go there. The third step is Solomon refused to deal with his own weaknesses. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonites, and the Hittites. They were from all the nations from which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. But I just love them so much. Followed the God, follows God in all these ways. Nevertheless, I'm going to choose to hang on to what I want. I follow God this way, that way, this way. I'm going to do all this. Nevertheless, and God says, don't do it because if you do, they will turn your hearts towards their gods. Look, I don't, I don't drink anymore. You know, I just have a pop. I just like going down and hanging out at the bar with my buddies. Careful. Because your buddies are going to turn your heart towards their sin. Well, you know, I just like going to a party once in a while. Careful. Because those things that you grab a hold of, well, you know, I don't, I don't cheat on everything. I just, just, you know, skim a little here and there. Careful. Careful. You see, when we begin writing our own rules, we become God, and they're going to fail. We're going to fail. Solomon, all through Ecclesiastes, he's telling us, I tried to fill my life with everything, every pleasure. I didn't, I didn't turn anything away. Anything I wanted, I took in, and it led to despair. It led him right back to where he began, apart from God. Maybe it's a particular area of sin that we've just decided to hang on to. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, well, I, I, just, I just can't help it. I just, I just can't, it's, 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 I just can't help it. I'm just drawn. It's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. Right? Because when we're born again, 
we're born of a new spirit. We're taken out of the flesh and placed into the spirit, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. What am I going to walk in, church? What choice am I going to make? Am I going to follow after light or am I going to follow after just a little bit of darkness? Please evaluate. Please figure out in your own heart, what is this? Is this light I'm following after or is it dark? Where am I going? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond that which you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can stand up under it. I was at a, I was at a get-together one day. I'm going to leave this pretty vague. But a guy came up to me and he said, hey, can I, this was just five years ago, okay? I'm in my mid-50s, five years ago. Guy comes up to me, he's older than I am. He's like, hey, can I hang out with you? I'm thinking, are we 12? Yeah. We're just at a get-together with a whole bunch of people. Okay, yeah, hang out with me. And he said, well, you're the only one in this room that I know that doesn't drink, and you're not afraid to tell people that you're not going to drink. He said, I'm really struggling, man. I know if somebody comes up and offers me a beer, I'm probably going to take it. I said, well, then attach yourself to my hip, and I'll tell them no for you too. I don't care what they think. Do you want a beer? No, I don't want a beer. Well, just a little beer. I don't care. I don't want a beer. At this point, I don't even want a Coke. I just keep it. I don't, I don't. We can make a choice. We do not have to be overrun with this stuff. What are we going to do? Are you going to stand up and stand for your convictions? Or are you just going to let well, you know, I don't want to be rude. Okay, here's the deal. God supernaturally, by his spirit, delivered me from alcohol. And now because Jim wants me to have a beer, I'm afraid of being rude to Jim? Yeah. <laughs> Hang on just a second, God. Let me crucify your son again. Let me drive another nail in his hand. Let me crucify him again because I don't want to offend Jim. Who cares? Right? When are we going to stand up for what we believe and have the conviction to say, I'm not going to go down that slippery slope. I'm going to stop that. I can't afford it in my life. I can't take that chance. Solomon's final step, the final the final step in this flaw was he, the, the final step was he chose to ignore correction people slide into sin, well you don't want just a little and the next thing you know I just got caught and, the next thing, and, and they go from just this little bit of sin into just full blown re- rebellion And they refuse to listen to anyone who tries to give them wise counsel. And here's the deal. He wrote all the Proverbs. There's no more wise counsel that you're ever going to find. And yet he chose to go against his own counsel. 
He chose to go against the things that he knew God gave him the pen. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Solomon had just completed this uh, amazing high point in his life. He had just finished dedicating the temple, and we read that God appeared to him at Gibeon. 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 3, the Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and the plea that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did and you do all I commanded to observe my you do all I commanded and observe my decrees and my laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised your father David when I said you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you or your sons turn away from me and do not observe the commands and the decrees that I have given you and you go off and you serve other gods and you worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and I will reject the temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among the peoples. What happened to Israel? They got cut off. He knew this. He knew. Solomon did this out of his own volition. Look, folks, we're in that same spot. The Spirit comes to us. We know when we're walking in disobedience because we come to the point where we say, you know, I know that this is what God wants me to do or I know that God doesn't want me to do this, but I'm just going to do it anyhow. Do we get? You you know it. You know it. You know. You know. You know. When you're you're sitting there and you're making that choice, I know that God doesn't want me to do this. But I'm going to do it anyhow. There are times when God gives us warning. He said, I will bless you if you refuse to follow me. Now, this is not good works. This isn't just good works. This isn't about, oh, you know, I just got to do all these good things to get saved. No, 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 no. This is God working in our heart, working in my heart, working, trying to, to perfect us, trying to be that place where we look like, our, like his son. And yet we just flat choose. No, I'm going to deny God. You wouldn't say it. You wouldn't say it. You'd never stand, look at yourself in the mirror and go, okay, I've got this choice to make and I think I'm just going to deny God. You won't say it in the mirror, but you'll say it in your heart. I know he doesn't want me to do this, but I'm going to. Look at what he says. Israel will then become a byword an object of ridicule among all the peoples. How many times has something that we have chosen that we know is so stupid, we know it's going to be so detrimental to us, and yet we do it anyhow, and we wonder why we become an object of ridicule. We wonder why. I've had people come into my office more than once. 
God has been warning them, people, but they refuse. They refuse, and, and they wonder, why is it that God, why is it it feels like, like, like God has cut me off? I'll tell you why. It's because you've left wiggle room, and, and then all of a sudden, you just flat decided you're going to make your own decisions. You're not going to go on, and we get to the point where we're ready to just make that last decision and go, you know what? I've chosen to reject God. I know what the truth is, and I chose to do something else. That, my friends, is not on God. It's on me. It's my heart that's done that. It's me choosing to be my own God and wondering why I'm cut off. If you're here today, if you're watching online, if you recognize this trail, Ecclesiastes 12, starting at verse 13, at the end of all of this, Solomon says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of mankind. God will bring every deed into judgment, including the hidden things, whether good or evil. The difference between David and Solomon was that every time David sinned, he ran back to God. When the prophet Nathan confronted him, he could have had the prophet killed. Instead, he repented. Listen to what Jesus spoke in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, we did all this a year or so ago. I'm not going to go over all of it. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. I know that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. You have persevered. You have endured hardship for my, my namesake. You have not grown weary, yet I hold against you this one thing, that you have forsaken your first love. Remember the heights from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand. I will come to you and I will cut you off. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which is good. I hate them too. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus says to the church, I know that you've withstood. I know you've done great things. I know you've stood against false prophets. I know you've exposed apostles, false apostles. I know you've done all those things. But I have this against you that you've lost your first love. I don't care what you have going on. Here's, let's just cut right to it. I don't care if you're following after some kind of ministry. I don't care if you're trying to lay your, down, your life down in some way for the church. If you've lost your first love, it's time to repent and go back. Quit doing anything else until we get that right. Amen. Because once we get that right, everything else will fall in place. Until we get that right, we're going to be walking around going, I don't understand. I don't understand. How come I can't seem to get it right? Why does this not work? Why does this not work? I've tried this. It doesn't fill me up. I tried that. It doesn't fill me up. Ecclesiastes, none of it's going to fill you up. Anything apart 
from following God is not going to fill you up. It's going to leave you with an empty hole. Work is going to be, it's not going to fill you up. Uh, uh, money's not going to fill you up. Pleasure's not going to fill you up. Comedy shows aren't going to fill you up. Serious talks aren't going to fill you up. Deep educations, nothing's going to fill you up if we're doing it outside, outside of a right relationship with God. And Jesus says, the way to get it right is to repent. Repent of all that stuff. Repent of trying to make things our God and let God be God. Cut out the wiggle room and follow him. Amen? Amen. If you are saying, Pastor, that's me today, and you need someone to pray for you, there will be a few people up here to pray for you this afternoon. I just want to close in prayer. And I trust that the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts today. God, I just ask you to point out those things in our lives that we have grabbed a hold of and said, God, I'm just going to do this my way. Come hell or high water, I don't care what the consequences are. I know that God wants me to go this way, but I'm just going to do it myself. Father, today we want to come before you and repent. We bring our hearts before you, God. We ask you to move, to change us. Bring people around us. Help us to be honest with people. James says if we confess our faults one to another, we will be healed. We'll be healed. God, I just ask your spirit to move amongst us and to deliver us from the wiggle room. Deliver us from the thought that we can do it on our own. Deliver us from the fact that we think that we're above all the rules. We're not. You've given them there to protect us and to bring us life. Bless your people today, I pray, God. Move in our hearts. Keep convicting us so we become more like Jesus every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have yourselves a great day.